when you own a business, you don't care about the sale, you care about the retention. So if somebody says yes over the phone, you know, they might still have to sign a contract. They still might have to put their credit card in. They still like for real estate agents, people are saying, yes, you can come by and check out the house, but then you want that appointment. You want your show rate. You want your, you know, follow through to be good. So what I usually do is just foreshadow the next steps. Awesome. We're excited to be working with you. Let me tell you what happens next. Now that you're a customer, we're going to do A, B, C, D, E. And by doing that, you're going to have the best experience possible. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we've got Chris Smith with us, and we're going to be talking about ultimate lead conversion with the conversion code. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Excited to, excited to have you here. Chris is the co-founder of Curator. It's an Inc. 500 fastest growing SaaS business that builds marketing and sales tools for real estate agents. In less than five years, Chris used the blueprint in his book, The Conversion Code, to grow Curator to nearly 15 million in annual recurring revenue, and that's without raising any venture capital. So a fellow bootstrapper, as, as am I. Yes. Um, today, Chris is here to share tips from his book, which is called The Conversion Code. Capture internet leads, create quality appointments, and close more sales. Chris, excited to have uh, excited to have you here and, and learn about what you uh, what you can teach us from the conversion code. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I just have a passion for salespeople and helping them get better at what they do. And uh, I know they're going to learn a lot today, so let's do it. Let's do it. Well, uh, let's jump into it. In your book, you give tips on talking with internet leads over the mm -hmm. phone. Mm -hmm. How do you have a perfect first minute on a sales call? with an internet lead? Yeah, my experience is dialing for dollars in boiler rooms. So I was working for Quicken Loans, you know, thousands of bankers, leads coming in from Lower My Bills, leads coming in from LendingTree, leads coming in from quickenloans.com, leads coming in off of a radio ad, right? <clears throat> and so you, you learn that uh, you've got to grab their attention early. So you, you want to take control of the call, which I call gaining control. And then you also have to just be realistic that you're going to get what I call a brick wall statement, which is kind of a, you know, a quick like, well, how much does it cost? Or like in at Quicken Loans, it was, well, I just want to know what the rates are, right? So there's two, two things that I do in the first minute. The first one is gaining control. So if I were on the phone with a lead and they called up, the first thing I would do is say, hey, I'm going to give you some information about what we do that we don't put on the internet. Could you please grab a pen and paper and let me know when you're ready? So I'm actually trying to get them to physically kind of stop, you know, grab a pen and paper and say, okay, I'm, I'm good to go. Let me give you my contact information. Let me tell you a little bit about our company that you're not going to find online. We don't publish everything on the internet, things like our rates and our pricing and our terms. We don't put those on our website. So grab a pen and paper. Let me know when you're ready. So that's going to be the gaining control. It's called pattern interrupt in psychology where you kind of stop what they're doing. And the goal is like, I'm in charge of the call. Like, this is what I do. You're a lead. 
that might interact with what I sell occasionally. I'm a professional salesperson who talks about this service every single day. The second technique is what's called ARPing, which is acknowledging that sort of early objection, responding to what they said, and then pivoting to what you want to say. So acknowledge, respond, and pivot. So like with my company Curator, you know, people will call up all the time and they'll say, you know, I just wanted to know how much it cost, right? And in sales, you've got to build the value higher than the cost before you give away the price and try to close. You can't just say, hey, here's how much it costs or here's what the interest rates are, right? So what I would do is I would say, oh, you want to know how much curator costs? No problem. You acknowledge what they said. Oh, you want to know what the interest rates are? No problem. Oh, you want to know how much Badger costs? No problem, right? You acknowledge what they said. And then you respond and you say, I'm going to go through pricing. I'm going to give you all the details. That's the whole point of this call, right? That's kind of the response. And then you pivot, like, how'd you find out about Curator anyway? Like, how did you learn about our company? Like, did someone refer you or did you find us through an ad on social media? Like, how, how did we connect and get on the call today? And that's me pivoting to something that I want to talk about. If I'm selling loans, same thing. Oh, you want to know what the interest rates are? Great question. They're the lowest they've ever been. Are you looking to sell your home? Are you looking to buy a home? What are your goals? Which is just the pivot. So in the first minute, you know, you want to gain control and you're going to also want to have an ARP handy. The nice thing is, you know, you do this long enough, you get the same questions and the same kind of brick wall statements over and over. So it's not incredibly difficult to come up with, you know, kind of that perfect script for that perfect first minute. Absolutely. I think this is so such a powerful uh, strategy, I, I, ARPing. Um, mm -hmm. what, what questions, what are, what are some ways of ARPing um, and what questions do you ask a lead that make it really hard for them to just say no or, or give, you, give you a brick wall and get off the phone? Well, I think you have to be really smart about the questions you ask. You have to ask what I call power questions, but then you also have to dig deeper because what a lot of people will do, especially over the phone, I know a lot of your audience is outside sales, but I bet they're doing some inside sales now, right? Like sure, a lot more remote selling and virtual selling and Zoom selling. So what you want to do is you have to realize like that when, when you ask a question, uh, especially early in a call, so I say, oh, how long have you owned your home? And they're going to just give you like the quickest, shortest answer to that. Seven years. Okay, why'd you buy it in the first place? That's going to be a question that's a little makes them think a little bit more. They have to go a little bit deeper with their answer than the first question. Like, mm -hmm. how long have you had the loan you have now? Five years. Which bank did you get it from? Okay, what's the interest rate? Okay, what are what's your uh, taxes and insurance right now? Like, you have to have these questions prepared. But what I call in my book the digging deep technique which is basically every question you prepare, you're gonna ask a follow-up based on their answer to that question. So if I say, uh, and, and by the way, the questions should be great, not good. So as an example, a lot of times in, in my industry, when I'm coaching my salespeople, they'll say, uh, how long have you been a real estate agent? And then they'll, the person might say 10 years. A better question is, why did you become a real estate agent in the first place? 
because that's going to give you a much better answer. So you can start and say, how long have you been in the industry? 12 years. Why'd you get into it? What was your job just before getting into it? And then they're going to go deeper. So it's called the digging deep technique. Every question that you ask should lead to another question. We sell marketing solutions, marketing software to real estate agents. You could ask a real estate agent in my, in my position, you could say, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your marketing. Like that's a big open-ended question. That's not going to get a great answer. What I've found works better is what does your marketing calendar look like right now? And that's when they'll say, well, I don't have a marketing calendar. I'll say, well, why not? Right. And I keep going deeper. So I, I, I kind of use the analogy in my book that you want to be like a three or a four year old kid. It's like, why daddy? Why, why can't we go outside? Because it's raining. Why is it raining? I don't know. Not the weather, <laughs> man, you know, but what ends up happening is when you dig deep and dig deep and dig deep, you get to kind of, extend the conversation because let's be real you're not going to close anybody in the first minute or two or three like if we're going to create a customer we have to have a conversation so asking great questions and asking great follow-ups kind of buys us that time to build the rapport and also taking notes on all their answers which we'll talk about later like kind of using what they're saying back when you go to close them at the end Okay. Well, tell, tell me about that. What types of things are you looking to take notes on? Tell me about that process. What are you, what types of information are you gathering in this qualification conversation stage that you're looking to close with later? Yeah. I have a technique later on called the five yes technique, right? And it's basically just, we want to get the sixth yes, which is like, yes, I want to buy your stuff. But to, to get to that point, you've got to kind of get their head nodding, right? So earlier when I was talking to you, you said you've been a real estate agent for 12 years and the reason that you got into the industry was because you wanted financial freedom, right? Yes. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then uh, you, you work currently for Keller Williams, you love their culture, but you're not really happy with your current CRM that they provide you, correct? Right. Correct, right? And as far as leads go, you're getting buyer leads, but you're not getting enough seller leads. So you would definitely... Uh, rather us focus on getting you seller leads, not buyer leads, right? Yes. Right. So that, that's kind of the concept mm -hmm. is as you're gathering that data early on, you're jotting down all of their responses and then we bring that back at the end. And the example I use is almost like when you're at a restaurant. Let's say you're at a restaurant and you're sitting at a table with eight people and the server comes around and the server starts to take your order and you see that they're not writing down your order. You know, I want a steak, medium rare with a baked potato, no butter, asparagus. You know, like how are they gonna possibly remember every, all eight people's orders with all the customization requests if they're not writing it down and reading it back to you? So if you're writing it down, okay, great. You want a steak, medium rare, baked potato, no butter, got it. And you're like, cool, she's, she's not going to forget. He's not going to forget my order. Mm -hmm. So it yeah. always makes me nervous when they don't write things down. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you should be nervous as a salesperson if you're not writing things down. Because number one, those are your notes that are going to go in your CRM if it's a longer sales cycle anyway. Because for a lot of people, it's not a one call close. You're following up with them a week later. And as much as in the moment, you can remember everything they're saying, 
you don't have a chance in hell a week later of recalling everything that they said. So a week goes by and you get back. It's like, hey, Susie, boom, 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 boom. And you sound credible. It's like, man, this guy's sharp. This guy was paying attention. Absolutely. I think it's so important to write everything down. I mean, and details too, little things like, you know, you know, not their eye color or anything or shoe size, but, you know, like you should write down, you know, details about a customer like, mm -hmm. oh, they have two kids and they're this age and they like to play soccer and piano and, you know, yeah. little details like that, bringing them up later it goes a long way. It's, if you can ask them how the piano lessons are going, that, that builds rapport. Exactly. Well, and I guess rapport it kind, of, kind of brings us to the next topic. You, you have a huge section in your book about building trust mm -hmm. with, with these leads that you get over the internet and building trust over, over the internet in general. How, mm -hmm. Tell me about the best ways and strategies you can, you can build that trust in these circumstances when you're not face-to-face -face with a prospect, but you're more at the, the marketing stage and they're interacting with your, your website and, and interacting with, with, with you, not through, through, through your proxies of, through your digital yeah. proxies. Well, the first thing is you, you never want to assume that they trust you or that they read all your accolades on your website or that they went into your like company's history, right? Like everything about your company. So, the way I break it down is I, I call it one plus one equals trust because the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to spend too much time trying to convince them that you're legit because then you sound like a fraud actually. So the way I break it down is two simple steps. Step one is a co-brand, meaning uh, as an example with what you guys do, uh, you know, we're the top rated app in Apple's app store for what we do, right? Like that is, that is third party validation. Like if I were pitching my book, I would say it's a USA Today best-selling book that's been featured in Adweek, Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. So just third party validation has a way to really build trust versus saying, hey, our company's amazing, we rock. It's more about they said, we rock. Like if I'm a real estate agent, you know, we have 300 five-star reviews on Zillow, right? I'm just using like a third party that I know that they know that I know that they trust. When I was with Quicken Loans, a lot of people don't know this, Quicken Loans licensed the name Quicken from Intuit, which is QuickBooks and TurboTax. The reason they did that was so that people that didn't know who Quicken Loans was back in the day would mm -hmm. immediately trust them. Like, if, are you familiar with QuickBooks and TurboTax? Yeah, that's actually where the name Quicken Loans comes from. So it's third party validation. And then the, the second thing would be a powerful statistic, right? Like just dropping a number, like if I'm a real estate agent, hey, we have 300 five-star reviews on Zillow and in my career, I have sold over 1,000 homes in Los Angeles. Just a stat. Give them a stat. Like at Curator, you know, we're an Inc. 500 fastest growing company. And we generate over 3 million leads on Facebook each year. So it doesn't have to be this big story, but you want it to be tight. It's a USA Today bestselling book. 
with over 100,000 copies purchased so far, translated into seven languages. So, but you have to do it on purpose. You have to make it a part of your sales call. Uh, it, you can't do it um, just when you think you need to. It, it, it's a part of a perfect script. You know, the framework for the conversation involves after you dig deep, after you learn about them, after you build that rapport, hey, let me tell you a little bit about us. Co-brand, stat, move on. That makes a ton of sense and uh, sounds like a great strategy. What would you say your tips are for, for proactively uncovering objections? Yeah, well, the worst feeling in sales is when you get to the end of a call and the person says, the normal objection of, I need to talk to my wife. I need to think about it. You know, I'm going to shop around, right? Uh, there's only a few objections that people get quite frankly, but what I found you should do is before you pitch. So before we even get into our sales pitch about the features, benefits and reasons you should invest in our product or service before I pitch, I'll say something like, Hey, if after you hear what we have to offer and you agree, it makes sense, right? Once you hear about it and you like it, is there any reason that you wouldn't move forward today? Because typically if they're going to be shopping around, if they've got a person they've got to check with before they move forward, right? Which is fine. If they tell you that that real early on, it's usually true. See, what happens is most salespeople do a terrible sales pitch and then they get to the end and then the person's like, you know what, I'm gonna think about it. So what you're doing is you're saying, as an example, like if I'm a real estate agent, back to that example, hey, I'm gonna go into the MLS and I'm gonna look for properties that I think you're gonna like. If we find a property that you agree makes sense, is there any reason that you wouldn't want to go see it tomorrow? So you're basically just trying to, if there's a spousal, if there's a, a, a price, you know, and that happens sometimes. Hey, if, if after you check out Curator, it's the system of your dreams and it's everything that you've been looking for, is there any reason that you wouldn't sign up today? Well, yeah, like I, I need to know how much it is. Okay, so cost is going to be one of your concerns, no problem. So basically, if you get those objections super early when you proactively try to pull them out, they're usually legit. But what will happen a lot of times, Steve, which is great, is they'll tell you right then, no, if, if it makes sense, I'm ready to pull the trigger. And now you're kind of like man to man or man to woman or woman to woman, like they've given you their word. Like if it makes sense, if I like what I see and it makes sense, yeah, I'll move forward. Okay, great. Move on. So I call that P-U-O, proactively uncovering objections. Basically do it on purpose. Don't let it happen to you at the end because that's when it turns into a fight and you get defensive and uh, you've already lost the sale, quite frankly. Yeah, and this is particularly important if it's a longer sales cycle and this, this something along these lines needs to be a part of your qualification process if mm -hmm. you're if you've got a long sales cycle where a lot of resources have to be invested to, to win a sale mm -hmm. and just no matter what it's, it's, you know, a sales rep, their, their time is important. And so if you don't qualify, 
deals that aren't going to close out, then you end up spending a ton of time on deals that aren't going to close that you could have discovered early on. Yeah. Not going to close for some reason. Well, let's say that there's another person they have to talk to. You haven't even pitched yet. Well, why don't we get Susie on the line? Why don't we yeah. get, why don't we bring Susie into a call tomorrow? All three of us go through this, right? Versus me going through it, getting excited, trying to close you. And then you tell me, uh, actually, Susie needs to hear your pitch too, right? Absolutely. Um, what do you, what should salespeople say once a prospect says yes? So you've gotten your sixth yes. Mm-hmm. What do you, what is, uh, what should, what should you say? Well, you shouldn't do what I call hit and run. A lot of times people get so excited and they basically just, uh, okay, awesome. Thank you for your time. Like click, like you have this big lead up to getting to the yes. What I do is I confirm the next steps. What I'm looking to do is I, you know, when you own a business, you don't care about the sale, you care about the retention. So if somebody says yes over the phone, you know, they might still have to sign a contract. They still might have to put their credit card in. They still like for real estate agents, people are saying, yes, you can come by and check out the house, but then you want that appointment. You want your show rate. You want your, you know, follow through to be good. So what I usually do is just foreshadow the next steps. Awesome. We're excited to be working with you. Let me tell you what happens next. Now that you're a customer, we're going to do A, B, C, D, E, and by doing that, you're going to have the best experience possible. So it's really more about this mindset that like, you're like, you can be jumping for joy inside and you can be pumped and you can be excited and you can let the dopamine go off that you got a deal, but don't get the confirmation that they want to work with you. And then like, literally like, okay, awesome. Thanks for your time. We look forward to working with you. Like now they're a customer. So treat them like a customer. But the simple answer would be explain to them exactly what happens now that they bought. I'm going to send your information over to our onboarding team. They're going to be sending you a form to collect your headshot and your bio and all the stuff they need to do their job. That process takes three to four weeks. If you have any questions during that process, you have my cell phone number and email. You can reach out to me but thank you so much. We look forward to working with you, blah, blah, blah. What I would say would be that five-star service starts in sales. So you've basically got to take off your sales guy hat, put on your customer service hat after you get the yes versus just awesome, thank you, I got my commission, next call. What would you say are the keys to making that transition smoothly from salesperson to the deployment or customer success or the, the next team that, that mm-hmm. this new prospect who's becoming a customer um, is going to go through? Just patience. Like there's no reason to rush. You know, on a typical phone call, and I've sold mortgages and software and all kinds of stuff, vacations, you know, <laughs> typically you're not going to actually make the sale in less than like 20, 25, 30, 35 minutes. It's usually a a longer conversation to get to the yes. So what I would say would be when you get there, there's no reason to rush. Um, The way that I would make it as smooth as possible is I would know what I was going to say before I said it. So here's what happens next. As soon as you sign your agreement, Amber's going to reach out to you. She's going to send you this. 
The reason she sends you this is so that this happens. During the course of the onboarding process, you're gonna also meet Rachel and John. Their roles are this. Like, I wouldn't be thinking of what to say when that happened because that would be kind of a chunk of a paragraph that would be like, okay, they said yes. Now that they said yes, we're gonna say the following things to make sure that they understand what happens next. I mean, I've had stuff I sold, Steve, where there's a cancellation policy. And if they cancel in the first 30 days, they get their money back and I lose my commission. So when that's the case, especially you start to get a little paranoid about like churn basically and clawbacks, if you will. Absolutely. I think, uh, well, in particular with real estate, right? I mean, people can, people decide they want the house. You're, you're halfway home. Yeah. <laughs> you get, there's, a, there's a bunch more things that have to occur and, and go right before that, that can happen. A million things. Um, so next section of the show is sales in 60 seconds. So quick answers, quick questions. First question, uh, what have you found to be the key challenges that salespeople face when it comes to selling? You got to be, you got to get good at doing the same thing over and over. Like it gets boring, right? Like, the, the, the robots win in sales, meaning you have to have a positive mindset. You have to have enthusiasm. You have to work hard. You have to be good at what you do. But then once you kind of have those things configured, it's, re it's repetition. You know, you have to get good at getting bored because what happens is when you go off script and when you wing it or when you're not feeling it, so you don't grab your sheet of paper, you don't ask your questions, I would say in my experience, uh, the, the best salespeople are like machines. They show up every day, they clock in, they go to work and they don't, they don't really go outside of the box once they've figured out what the right sales pitch is. Obviously every lead's a little different, every conversation's a little different, um, but I think that's one of the biggest challenges. The other biggest challenge would just be rejection. Like you are signing up for a career where you're going to get more no's than yeses, and that's grueling. And then the other thing is, even if you have a good month, it starts over. So you have that roller coaster of like, hey, I made 20 grand. And now this month I've made zero and I got to start over and I might not make any money. Like, so I'd say that roller coaster is a little bit uh, of one of the bigger challenges too, just the ups and downs, the wins and losses of being a commissioned employee. Yeah, in particular in real estate, because a lot of times there's no base and you mm -hmm. uh, you only sell two or three homes a year, even though you show a thousand. <laughs> yeah, you only eat what you kill. Yeah. What about differentiation? How can salespeople differentiate themselves and their company from their competitors? What are some strategies you use there? Yeah, I think for that, um, personalization goes a long way, especially like pre-call, post-call, or pre-appointment, post-appointment. Um, you know, I'm sure you get these LinkedIn messages that are just super generic and, you know, it feels like it went to 500 other people and maybe they use like a merge field for your company name or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I would say like going out of your way to personalize the outreach 
and the follow-up afterwards is a big differentiator. Um, you know, Disney, I live in Orlando and Disney has a technique they call pic pixie dust. You know, how can we put pixie dust into the process so that we create a magical experience for the people that visit our, our parks? One example is, you know, they used to give out the wristbands when you got to the park. Now they mail the wristbands in advance. They're beautiful. They, you know, you scan when you go on the rides and stuff. And so they created an additional magic moment for people before they even get to the park. Um, so it's, it's really being conscious of, you know, what can you do to get somebody to just go, wow, this is better than what I'm used to. It could be mailing them a small gift or a token of appreciation. Like, you know, I tell my sales team all the time, like, send them a book. I'll sign the book. I'll, per I'll sign it. Hey, John, thanks for talking to our team the other day. Whether you work with us or not, I hope you enjoyed the book. You know, like, how many times have you talked to a sales rep and then they mailed you a gift? Probably not very often unless you bought. So uh, just you have to do that stuff on purpose um, if you want to create a, a, a remarkable experience that also, by the way, creates word of mouth which is what we're all looking for. What's your best way to prioritize your clients or prospects when things get busy? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, when things are busy, that I'm not really going to worry too much because things are busy. So that, that's a good spot to be in. But I will tell you, I, I talked to this one guy who was a really talented real estate agent from Beverly Hills. And his wife uh, got brain cancer and he was juggling all the challenges that come with that. And then kind of like, I don't want to be broke and go through that. Like I need, we need money more than ever, but I'm going to have less time and attention and focus than ever. And he gave me this idea that I think is so simple. And he basically created a little system for himself of uh, dollar signs and pluses each dollar sign meant how much money he would make from a deal so four dollar signs was like a ton of money and one dollar sign was a little bit of money and then he used pluses the pluses were how likely is the deal to happen so that made it very simple to go into a spreadsheet and sort by like what are my highest dollars that are the highest likelihood to close versus my least likely to close uh, deals that don't make me a lot of money. So I, I would say that would be, you know, you, you have to have some type of system or categorization or stages uh, within your CRM or within your you know, spreadsheets or however you manage your pipeline. But I think that's a good way to do it. Like one through four dollar signs, one through four pluses. Clearly, you would prioritize the, the most dollar signs with the most pluses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I encourage everyone to who uses uses our product, you know, Badger Maps, the to have sales stage to kind of figure out how far along some is so, someone is with you as one mm -hmm. of the fields that they're tracking. So on each mm -hmm. customer, you know, say which sales stage it is. Say is it low, medium, high in terms of deal size, and then to rank their customers A, B, C or A, B, C, D, E. Different people need different levels of ranking. But then they take 
when you're building your route and deciding who you're going to spend time with, you can filter by those things. You can say, okay, sure. well, show me the first, the first, I know that I'm driving out to Springfield. So show me the, what are, where are high dollar sign customers who I haven't seen in at least two weeks mm -hmm. who are at sales stage, this and above and, uh, and are A's or B's because those are the ones I really want to focus on. Oh, okay. Those, those three, well, let me, let me make sure I can, I, I reach out to those three and try to have sales calls with them. And then next I release the filters a little bit and see the next batch and then the next batch, just keep releasing the filters until your time's full. But that way you can prioritize. A lot of people prioritizing is one of the biggest challenges in sales because they just have a lot of things that are, that are going to eat up their time, but probably not turn into money and, and mm -hmm. making sure that they focus on the things that can turn into money massively compresses the sales cycle or is the difference between winning a deal and not winning a deal. True. Um, so yeah, I could not agree with you more on that one. What would you say is the greatest sales lesson you've learned over the years? Um, that's a good question. I've had some great coaches and some great trainers and I've taught a lot through my books and speeches and workshops. And so I've kind of seen what resonates with people, but it probably comes down to my first sales coach. He, he drew this like graphic that never like left my mind and it was like an xy axis and it was fairly simple overall but he basically said your job in sales is very simple your job is to get people more emotionally excited than the cost during the time you have their attention and it was this kind of hill graph where you know, on the left side of the graph was the heart and on the bottom of the graph was the clock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then obviously like get them more excited than the cost and then close them uh, at the top of that graph. So that's probably the lesson that I never forgot. The other one he also taught was he, he used to say, enthusiasm ends with IASM for a reason. I am sold myself like if you are not completely enthusiastic about what you're selling to other people they won't buy it uh, so that you know he basically would combine the two lessons and say you know enthusiasm about the product and the company that you sell for is what gets them more excited than the cost uh, in many cases not exactly what you say but kind of how you say it and that infectiousness that you bring yeah i couldn't i could not agree with that more either the you've got to believe in what you're selling and if you're a sales rep or a real estate agent um who, who is selling a product that you don't actually believe in you think the competitor is better or you think mm -hmm. the the product isn't doesn't create that much value whatever it is um it's going to be really hard. I, I would, if, if you're in that circumstance, I think it's time for a, a, a company change because mm -hmm. it, you've got to believe in what that, that you're creating value or it just doesn't come across. If you're, if you, if it's not genuine, it's really hard to fake genuine and, and people spot that, that uh, kind of lack of authenticity. And whereas conversely, they spot the lack that they spot the authenticity. If you truly believe in the thing you're selling and you truly mm. believe it creates a lot of value and that this person you're talking to is way better off with it than without it, mm -hmm. 
then that comes across and you end up being so much more successful. So that's, I, I, I would, I encourage salespeople that I, that I'd coach to, to, to ask themselves, am I, am I really excited about this? Am I, do I really believe in this thing? And if the answer is eh, no, I mean, not really, then make a change. There's, there's so many great things in the world to, to sell that you, you want to sell one that you're really excited about and creates value. Exactly. What, uh, what daily habits or routines do you use to, uh, to be more productive? Well, I, I kind of believe in the concept that if it's not on your calendar, it doesn't exist. And so uh, what I try to do is I, I try to fill my calendar up with things to do so that there's not these big ch- chunks of time. So even if that were you know, even if the, the calendar insert said, call new leads from nine to 11, you know, from 11 to one, call old leads from one to three, call people that said yes, that haven't signed yet from three to five, you know, call past clients to thank them for their business and ask for referrals. Like I'm just a, a kind of a, a creature of habit and routine. So I, I think that's one of the best things people can do is sort of make sure every hour, every half hour uh, is blocked. And then blocking time for learning. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of salespeople don't kind of systemize is getting better at their job because you get busy and you get caught up. And one of my coaches used to say, you have to always learn more than you earn. And so that would be the other thing would be, um, podcasts like this, uh, sales books, uh, sales seminars, sales workshops, you know, conferences. Um, You know, you have to be a student of the game. You have to constantly be sharpening your axe and learning the craft. Uh, And I think that is also one of the differences between the best of the best and the people that are just good good at this. Uh, as an actionable takeaway, what should the salespeople listening to today do as a first step towards converting more of their leads into customers? Yeah, um, a good first step would be what I call STS, which is speed, tenacity, and scripts. Like when you're calling internet leads, you got to be quick. You've got to call people in the first 30 seconds or first 60 seconds. There's actually data that I researched that if you call a new lead within five minutes compared to within 30 minutes, you have a 100x increase in contact rate by calling in the first five minutes. So that would be something would just be like, you have to like, when there's a lead that comes in, it's like a grenade. It's about to go off. And if we don't get to it quick, we're dead. Uh, The second thing would be tenacity. We live in a world where people ignore phone calls. You know, they get a call from a number they don't recognize, they don't pick up. So the interesting thing is 46% of people, even if you call them in the first five minutes, will answer. But if you call six times, so tenacity, right, being tenacious, you can get the contact rate up to 93%. So that would be another thing I would do would just be like, really ask yourself, like when you get a lead, you call it fast and you call it often. And you're going to want to call two to three times the first day you get the lead, two more times the next day, one more time the next day. Like you got to go after them hard. And then the last S 
speed, tenacity, script, you, you, you can't wing it. Like, I don't, I'm not an actor. I don't want you to read a paragraph, you know, when you're pitching, but you need a framework for success. Your calls need to unfold in the same way every single time, whether that's asking great questions, giving a sales, a great sales pitch, uh, that, you know, what do you say after they say yes? What is your, what are you going to say when you go to close and they say, I need to think about it? What are you going to say when you go to close and they say that they're going to shop around or what are you going to say when they say, what makes you different and better than your competitor? Like you have to be prepared uh, for that stuff. So speed, tenacity, script would be a good place to start for people that want to crack the conversion code. Well, I'm going to attempt to summarize all the things you've, uh, you've taught us here today. Um, so first we talked about uh, having the first, the, the first minute with a prospect be perfect. So to do that, you got to grab your prospects attention early. You've got to gain control of the call and you've got to give them your contact information or something that they need to write down something they won't find online to, uh, to kind of break their, break their, uh, psychological script. Um, I forget what you called that. The, the shake up their pattern up the, interrupt pattern the, interrupt. Yeah. I loved that. I, if I didn't write that down, but I loved it. Um, then next you can try out ARPing. So acknowledge, respond, pivot, acknowledge their objection, respond to it and pivot into something that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Use the digging deeper technique. So you, 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 by you, what you do there is you, by, you prep great questions and then you follow up with questions that give you even more information. So for example, you could ask, so how long have you been a real estate agent? And then get that basic answer and then go deeper by asking, so why did you become a real estate agent in the first place? Mm -hmm. You can use this time to build rapport, to gather information that you can use later for the close. Um, and you want to take notes on everything that this prospect talks about so that you can connect with your prospects later in the sales cycle using these details that you've gathered here. Build trust through two steps. First, use a co-brand or a third-party validation that shows that you offer a great product or service. This can be through awards or reviews, and then use a stat to give you credibility. This can also be awards or reviews, or it can be a, a result that was calculated. Um, then another thing you should do is ask for objections before you pitch. So to try to under, uncover things that maybe you didn't know about already. Ask, is there any reason that you might not sign up today? Um, you can, you can, Pull, you can always pull out if the cost or, or a key stake, stakeholder will get in the way of the close and, and you can readjust in the fly based on those objections, or you can just make the whole conversation better if you can take a, an objection off the table early on. Finally, after your prospect says yes, talk about the next steps. Tell them how, that you're, gonna be, how you're gonna be working with them as a customer and, and walk them through that process and, and don't leave the yes hanging, uh, so to speak. This has been so valuable, Chris. What, where can listeners read more about your work? Um, how do they reach out to you? Tell us about your book. 
Yeah, my book is theconversioncode.com. You can go to theconversioncode.com. That'll open up Amazon, and it's also on Audible. I think a lot of your outside sales reps would love listening to the book uh, as they are out in the field. Obviously, with the sales coaching, it helps to listen to it multiple times. Uh, people can look me up. If you search Chris Smith Curator, uh, you will find me. My name is very common, so I'm hard to find. Uh, but all my contact information is in the book, my Facebook, Instagram, email. I put it all inside of the book. But yeah, I'd love people to pick up a copy, theconversioncode.com. Fantastic. Yeah, I just uh, I just searched Chris Smith Curator on LinkedIn and got got someone who curates a museum in North Carolina. So I'm I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, let me <laughs> let me give one disclaimer there. Curator is C-U-R-A-Y-T-O-R. Uh, so it's C-U-R-A-Y-T-O-R.com. Curator. Ah, ha, 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 ha. That did it. Um, you know, this has, uh, this has been a fantastic episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps, the number one route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less. You can get a free trial at badgermapping.com. If anyone listening can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from learning everything that Chris just taught us about, feel free to share the love and forward this episode on to them. Take care until next time, everybody. And Chris, I really appreciate you being here and everything you've taught us. <laughs>